0: this morning in your Bibles. You can also go to the Nova Community Church app. You can have your old school Bible on your lap, but we'll go to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be beginning in verse 15 today. We'll go to verse 19. I was talking to a few members of our staff and also many of you throughout the last few weeks, and on behalf of our staff, I want to thank you so much for your excitement and your desire to come on Sunday morning and to listen uh, to sermons or to go to the website and watch or listen to sermons on the website or our app or our podcast and hear from the scriptures, and, and I, I love to hear of your excitement um, and your joy and your desire to learn and uh, we're especially excited about this current series in the New Testament book of Ephesians. You know the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus and many Bible scholars think that this was also a circular letter meaning that it was passed from city to city and from church to church for instruction and inspiration And today what we'll do is we'll explore a prayer that Paul writes in this letter. Now, I have never met a Christian who has told me, uh, Pastor, I'm so satisfied with my prayer life. I don't need to pray a minute more in my life. I've never met anybody like that. I've never met anyone who who said to me, I pray as much as I could or as much as I should. I know in my life there are times that I've been content with my prayer life, but it only lasts for a day, it seems, after I've prayed for a good long time in the morning. But most of my time in my life, I want to spend more time in prayer, but because of my own selfish desires, because of my forgetfulness, because of my, well, it's just general unfaithfulness of my life, I don't pray as, as much as I could or should and I have prayed for miracles I have prayed for people to be healed and God has come through and he's I've witnessed things that I've prayed for and God has come through and there are times that I've prayed for healing or for a miracle or for a turn in someone's life or something else and nothing has happened it seems there was no healing there was no turn and so prayer is so mysterious to me and I and I'm growing in it even now I'm growing in my my learning my my knowledge my experience in prayer Paul writes this prayer to the church in Ephesus let me read to you the text today in verse 15 The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people in his incomparably great power for us who believe this is God's word for us this morning I want to make some observations just three observations I'm sure there's more that you could make if you spent time examining just this portion of um, of the text in Ephesians chapter one but I As I look at this and I think when you cross the line of faith and you put all your trust in Jesus Christ for your life and your salvation you get a treasure trove of blessing that just comes pouring in your life in verse 3 of chapter 1 it says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we see just through the beginning of chapter one in our study in Ephesians that we're sufficient in Jesus, that he meets all of our needs. And then that we learn just a few weeks ago that we're chosen by God and our destiny in heaven is secure for us. And then we, we learn that we were bought back, we were redeemed by God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul writes in verse 15, for this reason. It's all of the the previous 14 verses. He says, for this reason, and this is Paul's prayer of gratitude. This is Paul's this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. And we'll look into see what this prayer is all about the next two Sundays. It's for this reason. The second observation that we can make is Paul appears to have this constant dialogue with God. It's an it's a interesting thing as you read Paul's letters to his churches. In verses 16 in Ephesians chapter 1, though, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Not stopped. And then in, in verse 17, it says, I keep asking. It's a constant asking. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15, 16, and 17, we read that Paul writes to this church in another city, he writes, Rejoice always. And then in verse 17, he says, Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I don't know about you, but I, I get involved with this sometimes in my day. I have family and, and I have a couple uh, best friends that live close by, but, but far enough that we don't always get together. But through texting... We have this constant dialogue, it seems, at times. And I don't know if you've ever had this, and there's this chain of texts, and we're, uh, someone asks the question of my two good friends, and then an answer comes out, and then a joke gets thrown out, and then someone asks another question, and hey, we should get together. And it's this constant dialogue that goes on for 20, 30 minutes, sometimes even an hour. And I know that I've seen some of you do the same thing. You're just talking to one another. It's it's this constant thing that goes on throughout the day sometimes. And I know some of you have a best friend or two, and you have this constant dialogue throughout the day through text or through Snapchat or through Marco Polo or through voice calls and you're just constantly going at it with one another. But I think to myself what would it look like to have this constant dialogue with God that it appears that Paul has as he says pray without ceasing as he says I've not stopped giving thanks I keep asking about in this constant dialogue with God we'll talk a little bit more about that Today And then the third observation is this. Um, I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't pray for the church in Ephesus, for their immediate needs. It, it's interesting to note that if you read through the New Testament uh, epistles, through, through the letters that Paul writes, in Ephesians and in Colossians uh, and, and in Philippians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, You'll find that the prayers, you'll find prayers that Paul writes. And you'll also find that Paul doesn't pray for their circumstances and their immediate needs. And and they were suffering. They were suffering a lot. And this teach this is teaching us, this is teaching us that we don't always have to have our prayer needs before God. That there are other things generally to pray about as we dialogue with God. Jesus does teach us the Lord's Prayer when He says, Pray for your needs. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is teaching and mentoring a young pastor, and he says, I want you to pray for governments and for authorities. I want you to pray for powers and daily provisions and global peace. He says, I want you to do that, but I think it's really interesting here that even though the church in Ephesus had great needs, that Paul doesn't pray specifically. He doesn't lead out by praying specifically for those needs. In Ephesians chapter 1, what we read here is Paul prays for knowledge do they have other needs other than knowledge? Yes. They had economic needs and social needs. They had physical needs. They had relational needs. And Paul has the audacity, I think, here to pray for one thing, that they might know God better. That's his prayer. And I, and I think about me in my life. Especially, I was talking to my wife, Janet, just last night, and we were, were praying specifically for certain things. And sometimes, like this morning, as I was just quietly, just praying by myself at home in the early morning. Praying for a list of needs that I have, a list of requests that I'm praying for. Sometimes I think, God, why is this happening? Why, why are all these things heavy on my heart What's all this happening? But then I stopped and I thought, Dean, what are you going to talk about today? That the foundational purpose of my life is not about this list of prayer needs that I have. The foundational purpose in my life is to know God better. And how is God using all these other things in my life so that I would know him better? It's the reasons for all things. It's it's the reason for tragedies and triumphs for our life in our life it's to know him better. And if I have this spiritual richness of knowing God then whether I'm healed of my sickness or not and if I have this spiritual richness of knowing God better whether I actually get that dream job that I've been praying for or not or whether I get that A on that test that I've been praying for or not that if I know God better That's the key foundational purpose of my life. And it's what I'm learning about prayer now, that I would know God better. Now, let's take a look at this prayer that Paul prays. We'll take a look at it in two Sundays. We have the first half uh, today. So Paul prays that you may know certain things. In verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. He says, Ever since I've heard, and, and he addresses the Ephesians, but this is also this circular letter that gets passed around to other churches. Paul is writing to this group of people that some of them he's never even met before, but I think, what has Paul heard? Because it says, Ever since I heard, he, he hears two things. The first thing he hears is he hears about their faith in the Lord Jesus. And the second thing he hears is he hears about love for all of God's people. Faith in Jesus will inevitably lead to a life of love for all God's people. Paul pay, prays generally. This as the foundational and general prayer. He says, I want you to know what you have in Christ. That's his prayer. I want you to know what you have in Christ. Let me me illustrate this a little bit for you. Let's just say, imagine with me, a four-year-old girl in an orphanage. An orphan girl in an orphanage. And let's just say it's it's in Africa. And let's say, just imagine with me, one day a woman visits the orphanage and says to the orphanage director, I'm looking for a little girl to adopt. And the director introduces this this woman to this four-year-old girl. And that little girl is just taken by this woman. And they talk, and the woman begins to just fall in love with this little girl. And after some time, the woman says to this little girl, I would like to adopt you as my daughter. So, what will the little girl say? Will the little girl say to the woman, Will she say, "Um, Okay, I'd like to be adopted, but can I see your bank account first? (laughs) Will, Will this little girl say to the woman, Um, um, Okay, I think think I'd like to be adopted by you, but will I have a bedroom of my own? Will will she say to the woman, you know, I I want you to be my mommy, but in in 14 years I want you to know that I plan to to go away to college. She won't ask any of those questions. A child doesn't think about these things and she, what she will do is she'll embrace this woman that she's fallen in love with and say to her, I've been dreaming of this day my whole life. Can I call you mommy? And I think you can see the picture in your mind of, of what's going on here. You see, when you first put your faith in Jesus, you're generally looking for love and forgiveness and maybe for um, relief for an immediate crisis in your life. But let me let me just expand on that that uh, story a little bit more. What would happen if this woman that was visiting this orphanage that we talked about is Meghan Markle, the the Duchess of um, York or or something? You know, she's <laughs> married to to Prince Harry. See, if this woman was visiting the orphanage was Meghan Markle, it would mean that. It would mean nothing to this girl, this little four-year-old girl, that she is one of the most wealthy and powerful and popular women in the whole world. But one day, Meghan Markle takes home this four-year-old, and this four-year-old starts to grow, and one day, Meghan will say to her, My daughter, my daughter, because of who you are in me, you will become one of the most powerful and influential human beings in the world. You will have such a great impact on so many people, so I want to prepare you for this great calling in your life. And Paul says, when you become a Christian, you know as much about your future purpose as this four-year-old daughter knows about her mother at that time. So Paul prays this prayer, and he prays for you to know, number one, the hope of God's calling, the hope of God's calling in your life. Last week, we talked about, we said that if there's hope for the future, that means there's going to be power in the present. If you have hope for your future, it just changes the way you live your life today. Now, do you know the hope that comes from knowing that God has called you if you know that hope it's going to bring you such power in your present here. Paul writes about this hope to another church, the church at Corinth, and he gets very specific about it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, "Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts, boast in the Lord. See, the only reason that you're called, is because God chose you. Not because you were wise or strong, not because you were influential, not because you were good. That God chose you in spite of the fact that you're not smart. He chose you in spite of the fact that you're not strong or popular or better than everyone else. And the purpose is to show the world that salvation doesn't consist for the strong and for the wealthy and for the smart. When you stop and you reflect and you meditate on the fact that God chose you because of you, it will send you out in this world with this incredible hope in your life. And therefore, as Christians, we'll always look at another human being We'll look at them in the eyes, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like. And you could say to them, you were created in the image of God. Because we know the hope of God's calling in our life, we can never look at another person and say, oh, you're not the Christian type. Because none of us were either. A Christian never loses their hope that someone would come to know Jesus because every person, every human being is made in his image. Paul prays that you may know, number one, the hope of his calling. Number two, that you may know the riches of God's glorious inheritance. The riches of God's glorious inheritance. This is very interesting. This is, to me, very interesting. Bible scholars say that the subject of inheritance here can be thought of in two different ways. The first way is probably more common when we think about this. We think of it as as an inheritance that Christians have, that we're going to get from God. Or, scholars say, this could also be thought of as the inheritance that God has. Not that we get, but it's the inheritance that God has. And that's very mysterious, and we're going to lean towards that mysterious side. Uh, today as we look at this. This is one one of the most astounding statements in the Bible. In verse 18 it says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Notice that it doesn't say here, the riches of your glorious inheritance. I, I don't know if you have someone in your life that's like this, a family member or a good friend or something. When it comes time for their birthday or Christmas is coming up, you have someone in your life that's really hard to shop for, to buy a gift for? Yeah, you could just look at them right now, right next to you, if, if you want. I mean, it's, it, it's a pain in the neck. And if, for someone with a love language of gift giving, it's really hard because you want to do really well in giving, giving a gift. But if you have someone like that, you understand. Like, like let's just say uh, you had a Christmas gift exchange, and then you draw a name, and it's Jeff Bezos, Okay. He's the uh, founder, CEO, and president of Amazon, okay? Worth $108.4 billion as of yesterday. And you want him, you want Jeff, when you give him that gift, to open that gift up on Christmas, open that box up and go, I've been waiting for this. But he's not going to do that because he gets free shipping on anything he wants over there, right? I mean, just, he just orders it up and he, he gets it. When a person is that wealthy or just has that sort of a life, what in the world can you give them? And Paul is saying here that God has a glorious inheritance, a, a wealth, a treasure. And he tells us what that wealth, what that treasure is. It's you. It's you. It's those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and what this is saying, this is hard. This is hard for us to kind of get. As South Bay people, we live in, a, in, a, in an incredible place. We have, uh, I'll, I'll just say, all of us are wealthy. All of us are wealthy. I mean, we're wealthy with, 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 our, with what we have in our life, with where we live, with our work, with our, with our weather, with the area that we live in. We're, we're so wealthy. I was talking to a group of church leaders in Orange County, South Orange County, just a couple days ago, and I was talking to them and explaining to them um, where, where I love to be in the South Bay, where the church is at and what the church is like and talking about all, bragging about all you guys and, and talking to these, these South Orange County church leaders about that and tell them about the South Bay. And they were like, that's nothing. We live in South Orange County. And they were saying, you know what's hard? And they were mostly uh, parents. And they said, you know what's hard? Because I was telling them about parents. In the the South Bay and the achievement orientation that we have, the competitive drive that people have—they want their kids, you know, academically and in the arts and in sports. They just—and I was—and they said, "That's nothing. Try living in the South Orange County bubble." They said, and they said they just opened a, a private arts academy just down the street. And so our kids. Uh, the band in high school is not enough. They, we got to send them and pay big bucks to send them to that, that, that music, that, that school over there. It's sports. No one wants to play high school sports anymore. We've got to get them up there and get good video on them so that they could, we could send it to college coaches out there and club teams and teams that we pay for. H- high school sports is really on the lower ranks right now talking about academics and and their kids studying so hard and taking AP courses and honors courses so that they can get the highest GPA, so that they can go to the best school. They said, you got nothing in the South Bay. We got, it's tough here. And I was like, fuck, you can have it. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me. But you know what? When our Father looks at us, he looks at us just as we are. And he says, no one, no one can give me a better gift than what I have in you guys. No one can do that. Paul prays that you may know this. Number one, the hope of God's calling in your life. Number two, the riches of God's glorious inheritance. And number three, the incomparable power of God. Paul says that 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 power that brought you to faith that brought you to faith, the power that resurrected from the, Jesus from the dead, and the power by which He rules everything in the world. He says, "It's for the church. It's for, it's for us here. This is this incomparable power in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. We're going to cover this more next week, but it says this. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That word fullness is, is so full of great stuff. We'll talk about that next week. But he does it all for the church. And God did all of this that you would come to know him. I, there, there's, some, there's a family here at Nova, and their story is is. is is great. The story and it happens to involve me a, a, little, a little bit too. Um, I grew up here in Torrance and I went to Edison Elementary and Magruder Middle School and North High School. I grew up in North Torrance. I met my wife in high school. We didn't date. We were almost not even friends, but we, we, uh, we knew each other and we had friends that were in common and, and we knew of each other um, and we went to the same high school. Well, there was another a woman at that high school, a young woman, a teenager at that high school, that we were not really friends with, but we knew her. And she's great. She was uh, uh, well-liked and just a sweet person, and we knew her. Um, later on, my wife and I started dating, and then we got married. In 1986, we started a church, um, and we started at Gardena High School in their cafetorium. And then six months later, we got married after we started the church, which I don't recommend for anybody to try to do. But but uh, we we survived it. Um, We that church went for a couple years, and then we moved it into North Torrance and where our roots were. And then later on, um, I had a a real sense of God wanting me to uh, be a police chaplain. And through a lot of different um, circumstances, I was uh, able to be a police chaplain in the in the city. When you're a police chaplain and, and, and you're the lead chaplain, you get an opportunity to have a platform to talk to a lot of different people. And I would speak at different functions throughout the city with just a lot of people in these places. And one day I was speaking at a, at, a, at a function and there were hundreds and hundreds of people and in that crowd was this woman that we knew in high school. And after I spoke and I got down off the stage and she came up to me and said, you remember me. And I said, of course I do. How are you? I haven't seen you in 20 20 years. She says, I'm doing really well. She said, thank you for that talk. I said, you're welcome. And she said, tell me about yourself. I said, I'm a pastor, police chaplain, of course, and and all these things. And she said, you know, my daughter just got engaged. And she's looking for someone to officiate her wedding. Uh, Would you be uh, willing to officiate her wedding? I said, well, when's she getting married? And she says, I think it it was about 18 months. And I said, well, I said, I really don't schedule weddings, this is my own personal policy, of people that aren't in my church uh, 18 months out. And so I said, have her call me six months before. And she said, okay. And I had my business card and I gave it to her. I said, give me a call. I'm not thinking she's going to call me. I mean, it's going to be a year, right, before I, if I get a call, because it's, if it's 18 months out. So I'm just going along with my life. And a year later, I get a call says, this is uh, who I am, and, and, I'm, and my mom, you know who are in high school, and I'm calling you because we're looking for someone to officiate our wedding. And I was really surprised. I said, okay. I said, six months to the date, really. I, you're serious then. You're really serious. And so, uh, or very organized, which she really is. Anyways, uh, I said, hey, let's get together. I want to meet you and your fiance. And I said, "Let's get together." We set a date for a Saturday afternoon. They came here in the office. We got to know each other. I don't even know this person. I just know, barely know her mom from high school twenty-five years before, right? So we talk, and I'm thinking, "What a what a wonderful couple!" But why, why do they want me to do their wedding? They don't even know me. And I said, "Hey." Um, before I agree, I said, I have that date available. I'll pencil it in. But before that, why don't you come to Nova on a Sunday so you can hear me speak. And then you guys talk and decide we want that guy to do our wedding. Because, you know, I don't, it's okay. I'm not, I don't need to do everyone's wedding and, and all that. So um, they said, okay. I said, it's 930 every Sunday. It'll be great. And they said, okay. So I'm expecting in a month or two or three that they'll show up one day. That's a Saturday afternoon, I'm standing in the plaza, they show up, and I'm thinking, you're kidding me, they're here, and so they're here, and then I'm thinking, this is wonderful, because then they get to be caught in this love web of Nova, (laughs) right? I don't need to be worried about them, that if you're new here, I know you're already feeling like people are so warm and friendly, and uh, this is what Nova is all about, and they did like a bug in a spider's web. They got, they got caught. And uh, afterwards, I'm standing in the back. They came over. They, they shook my hand. They said, thank you so much. We want you to do our wedding. I said, I'm your guy. Not expecting them to come back the next Sunday or the Sunday after that or the Sunday after that or the year after that. But they're stuck. They got caught. God grabbed them. His incomparable power that moved me into North Torrance when I was a little kid, raised in North Torrance, Janet the same way. We go to high school, meet this woman, that's her mom, and then I become a police, a pastor of all things, first of all, and then a police chaplain of all things. And I'm speaking at this place with hundreds of people, and the mom comes up, I knew you in high school, my daughter, and, and, all, and this family is here today having babies and, and, and serving and and be a part of our church family. This is the incomparable power of God for those of us who believe. And we're going to take this up further next week. Okay, real quick, our application for today. How can I know God better? It says here, Paul praises so that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that it would open up. How can I know God better in the spirit of wisdom and revelation? How can I have my, the eyes of my heart open up to God more? I think it's, it's to, to engage in the dialogue of, with God. That's how you get to know someone better is to pray, to have this dialogue with God and, and, and just to lift up to, to ratchet up our, our life of dialogue or prayer with God. And here's five, five things, and I'll, we'll go over them real fast. The first one is intercession, and it's, it's the prayer list. And so if you don't have a list of things you're praying for, because I know you have needs, and I know you know other people with needs, would you write those things down? And then would you reserve a time during the day, give it five minutes, and just pray through that list. That's a great way. It's called intercession. The second thing is silence and solitude. I don't think we do enough of this here. The South Orange County people are really hurting in this area, I think, because if we're hurting in this area, we don't have a lot of margin in our life. We don't have a lot of solitude time, a lot of silence in metropolitan world. Here there's a lot of noise happening a lot in our our South Bay life. That's why we have that prayer garden, that it would be a place of solitude and silence. Our staff goes out there um, as it's, it's being put together. Even though it's not fully, fully complete, we're super close to it being complete. A couple of weeks ago, we, I said, uh, for our prayer time today, let's just go to the prayer garden. And we're not going to say a word. We're just going to go and sit in solitude and silence before God. We need more of that in our life. Just to get to know God a little bit better reading his word, we're going to actually, if you read his word, the Bible, you actually hear God's word in your mind. He's speaking to you through the Bible. We had just had a series on the Psalms in the summer. You can pray through the Psalms. You can read the Psalms and and make those Psalms your prayer. It's fabulous to do that, to get to know God better. And then the discipline to pray. If you're praying five minutes a day, how about ratcheting up to two more minutes, seven minutes. I guarantee you, you're going to go longer than that. If you're, not, if you're praying zero, why don't you start with five? If you're doing five, give it two more minutes. If you're doing ten, give it a little bit more. Just, just, just move it up a little bit more. And through that, you're going to get to know God better. I love Paul's prayer. He says, I keep asking, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Amen to that. Let's all stand for the benediction.